Code Fund Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash sustain. Welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who is involved? How did they get there? Who's paying them and why? Lots of fun. Today, we have an excellent guest, Zeno Rocha. Hello. Two panelists, Justin. How are you? And Eric. Howdy ho. Good morning. And of course, me. Good morning. Zeno, you're calling into us from LA, correct? Yes. Sunny California. It's 739 there. Thank you so much for getting on this call so early. No problem. Um, So you're an interesting person. You're the chief product officer for LifeRay Cloud. Uh, Can you talk a bit more about what you do there and how you ended up there? Yeah, so I'm a software engineer. That's what I love doing. I'm a front-end developer by heart. I love creating things. And I have been working for this company for seven years now. I'm originally from Brazil, actually, and I moved to LA five years ago. And yeah, I just like, we started this product over there and it started to develop and grow and grow to the point that we were like, okay, I think we should create a new division inside this big company. LifeRay is a company, it's an open source company also, but it's like 900 people company, multi-million dollar company. And we created this cloud division to support the main product of the LifeRay company and to put it in the cloud. So the role I ended up, taking there was because I knew the product so well, because I knew like, okay, what were the the buyers, the, the people that are interested on that? Then I ended up going more to the product side. So today, like from nine to five, I'm constantly being bombarded by customers, like internal people and like many other stakeholders. And I don't code as much from nine to five. But then after that, I have my little side projects. <laughs> awesome. But you started out as an open source developer, correct? How that, how'd that start? Yeah. So I was doing already some open source on the side. And I was, I was working for this company that I always wanted to work for. You know, I'm from Brazil and I fit the stereotype. I love soccer. So I was working for this company, like a, a sports website. And yeah, just like I was working with Flash by the time. And I wanted to make that transition to HTML. HTML5 was coming up. And I started to do a little bit of that. And eventually, I got more exposure, more exposure. And then I met the people behind that company. And I was like, okay, I have this dream job here in Brazil. It's great. Everything that I do like, just has a lot of traffic. I get a lot of exposure. But I want something that will give more a global meaning to my work. And that's why I, I joined LifeRay. What's the developer scene like in Brazil? I'd love to hear more because when I think about developers, Brazil is not the place where I typically think that they are. So I feel like most of Brazilians, they have this fear of feeling they are not as good as the rest of the world. That's what I 
what I perceive the most, where they think that Americans are the best and Europeans are the best. And there's this culture of, oh, we're just like the little ones and we, we, are, we don't have as much expertise. And I love working with Brazilian developers. I think they are really amazing. The community there is extremely active. There's a lot of people. I remember one of the, the first conferences I went, there were like 2,000 people, you know, and you'll be like amazed. Like in 2012, there was a 2,000 people conference talking about JavaScript. And yeah, it's extremely active. The developers are extremely creative, which is a skill that I believe it's fundamental for being a developer. You're always solving problems in a creative way. And yeah, I really, I really like it. It's, it's, it's a good place to be. Some of my favorite developers come out of Brazil. Rui Adorno with NPM right now. Oh, yeah. Le- Leo Balter cool. at Boku. He's worked with TS39. Yeah, um, I know him as well. It's awesome. Yeah, they're great. They're great people. I, I'm really interested. You said you wanted to, to get like more reach and more views and stars, whatever you want to call it. I know you're a really big conference speaker. You've given talks mm-hmm. at what is it, over 110 conferences now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> why, why this drive? What, why this drive to get more views? Most developers want to work on hard problems. You seem to want to work on social problems. What, what's going on there? I think it's not so much about views. I, I would say it's more about the impact. And there's a, a selfish aspect to this as well. So when I, I, I was growing up, I used to hear a lot from my dad saying, that if you really want to learn something, you have to teach it. You know, that's the best way to learn it. And that's the best way to go. So I was starting my career, you know, just joined the university. I was doing like a computing class there. I was like, okay, this is so good. I actually didn't like my university as well. I, I love my, my internship much more. It was much more exciting. I remember going to the university coding for an like an hour, compiling, and then there's like this black screen with like one string, just like some C code. And I was like, oh, I hate C. And then I'll go to my internship and then I would code for an hour, I would compile, and then there's this flash animation going on on my screen. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. But eventually I was like, okay, I saw that there was a conference going on on my city. I remember so clearly this day, like I opened the website and there was this huge form to fill out and submit your talk. And they asked about your background, like all the, the jobs that you, you did and all your projects, like all your uh, diplomas. And I had nothing, you know, but I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot and let's see how it goes. You know, I wanted to learn HTML5 at that time. So I'm like, okay, I want to learn this. I don't know about this, to be honest, like it's just starting, but I'm curious about it. So I'm just going to submit this talk. And I submitted with that mentality that, okay, if you really want to learn something, then you have to teach it. I was just trying it out and they accepted. And I was like, oh no, now what I'm going to do? Because now I have to give a talk about a subject that I'm not an expert, you know? So it's that feeling of what did I do, you know? So it was super, super, extremely scary. But I, I went there and I spent like those weeks preparing the materials, studying like crazy, and I gave the talk. So I feel like whenever there's a new technology, at least like the way I would see my career was like, okay, I'm just starting now. Or this, like I was working with Flash, 
there was like PHP, Java, like, and when you're starting, at least for me, I remember this, this question in my head always like, okay, what is the best language that I can learn? What is the best framework I can learn? If I learn that one framework, if I learn that one language, then I'm going to be successful. And I believe that whenever there's a new language, a new framework on the scene, the starting line is the same for everybody. So if I wanted to be the best Java developer, the best PHP developer, I could do that. And I could like work a lot and be just super dedicated to this. But with HTML5, it's a blank slate. Everybody's starting from the same line. And to get to the finish line, if I work really hard, if I put many hours on this, okay, I can reach that end of the line together with people that are like 10 years with experience and things like that. So that was that my mentality at that time. Like, okay, learning new programming languages, trying to be the best of with everything that I do. Yeah, just trying to learn things as much as I could. And the channel to learn was actually teaching. Yeah, I have to second the, if you want to learn something, do a talk because I did one on sub-resource integrity and I knew the basics of it. And then they're like, oh, there's going to be 200 people. Okay, I really need to up my game. So like I updated my slides and put all these other, not so much technical stuff, but more like history and in a little more technical stuff. So it's the best fire under your tushy (laughs) since we're keeping this... (laughs) PG-13. <laughs> it's the best fire and you just learn so much because you have to. Like there's no choice because it's your name and the company you represent. So I'm so glad you said that because I was like, oh, God, that's exactly what it is. So tell us a bit about how you got involved with Dracula theme or clipboard, either one of those. Yeah. So I guess back in maybe 2015, I noticed there were like some new APIs coming up on the browsers. I've always been in touch with new technology and always interested about, okay, what is this new thing that is coming up and trying to be ahead on that sense. So I saw this uh, copy to clipboard API. Back at that time, like there was only one framework that you could use, one library that you can use to do copy to clipboard. You know, when there's like a code snippet, you just want to click a button and then it copies. And that was using Flash. And I always hated that. I always hated that library. And I was building websites for my open source projects, I always had code snippets. I always had syntax highlighting and I always had that little button that would copy to clipboard. So I was like, okay, I saw this new library. I saw this new API. It's coming to the browsers, but still like I have to wait for Chrome to implement it, then Firefox and then Internet Explorer to implement all that. And I was tracking the, the development of that. And then eventually I noticed it was already available on Chrome, Opera, It was coming up to Firefox and I was like, okay, let me try to create a library wrapping that whole logic and do something that is really small and really effective that doesn't use Flash, only JavaScript. So I created that, I launched it and I remember spending maybe, I don't know, like one day or two days working on the source code of the library itself. So just like, okay, let me do the best API I can, the friendliest, the, the shortest, the smallest package I can do. I spend maybe around two weeks on the website. And that's a ratio that you don't see open source developers doing as much. They spend most of the time on the source code. That's what matters. 
and they don't spend time on promoting the library itself. And although it's great to just do that work because that's what the exciting part is, if you want to get traction, if you want to reach more people, help more people, that's the end of the goal, right? That's why you are open sourcing. You want to help not only yourself, but other people. Otherwise, you just keep the code in your machine. So if you're publishing something to GitHub, if you want to help others, then you have to spend time promoting that to others. So the, and the website is not crazy at all. It's like the, the shortest website you can, you can see. It's like super small, like there's nothing about it. But I spend way more time on, on the site than I spend on the library. And then I, I launched it. And there were like 5,000 stars on GitHub in like maybe two days, something like this. And I think right now there's 28,000 stars on that repo. Can I really just interject real fast? Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that on Hacker News. It was like number one or something. And I, I like looked at the it linked to your GitHub, if I remember. And I was like, that name's so familiar. And I was like, oh, I know him. So <laughs> I just was like so like ecstatic because I knew that Flash, you know, everyone knew once Steve Jobs wrote that letter about Flash, Flash was yes. dead. That was the day it mm-hmm. died. So it was like perfect timing for like clipboard.js to come in and kind of save the day because I mean now I think Flash is like depreciated or killed off in all evergreen browsers, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I just had to say that because I just remember just being so excited, like, I know him. Yeah, man. And it's like, I think one of the aspects is this, right? Like understanding what is your current environment. Like back in 2015, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Steve Jobs said, okay, no more Flash on our phones. And then everybody went crazy. And that was the death of Flash. And then eventually, like at that time, everybody hated Flash. Nobody liked Flash websites. And HTML5 was the best thing in the world. So Like knowing that is really important. Knowing that, for example, everybody was worried about big frameworks with like huge bundle sizes. Okay, so tailoring your message to that kind of audience, like the environment that you are in, like how the world perceives things today, it's really important. So that was a lesson that I took from that project where you have to build something that is tailored to that world. You know, if you're building something like with technologies that don't matter as much or yeah, you're just not going to have the same reach. So it was a very cool project. Yeah. How many other packages rely on clipboard.js? I mean, it's got to be in... GitHub says 85,000 right now, which is a lot. It's got to be a lot more. That's just what GitHub tracks. So Uh, I remember using this at a company, man, a few years ago. And it's fantastic that you built this. This article, so, man, you're just such a cool guy. You put out this library and somebody posts on your GitHub issues, like, how did you go from zero to 5,000 stars basically overnight? And I love, the, you know, to me, my, my impression would be also, like the rest of the, the people are commenting, of course, because it made front page on Hacker News, and that's why. And it's so interesting that somebody who is a developer who understands the like the hacker. I assume you completely understand like how hacker news like can can make things grow. But you point out very very clearly like, look, it's not hacker news. Hacker news might have been a little bit of a boost to get in. But can you explain really like wh- how did you get to five thousand overnight? 
Yeah, I think people just, they see the the end result and they think that's it, right? Oh, it was because it was shared by this one channel or this, there was this one big influence influencer that retweeted. So now that's why the project is so successful. And I think there's so much more to this, right? I think just number one being like the experience that you have with an open source project. You know, I created other open source projects in the past. I knew like, what are the things that if I do, people are just not going to really care about it. And if I don't support this thing, this is, this is not going to have the same adoption as I would like to have. And also trying to just like spend time on creating documentation, spend time on thinking, okay, when is the best time to launch something? Maybe you build something now and it's not the best time, you know, that's how it works. So the other aspect was knowing the audience, right? I knew like everybody hated Flash, everybody hated bloated frameworks. So, and everybody needs to do a copy to clipboard at some point in one piece of their application. If it's a financial application, if it's, if it's a JavaScript library, if it's a Ruby library, it doesn't matter. Like you have to at some point copy some content to the, the clipboard. So it was something that was useful, right? So I think there's so many aspects to it. And I, I don't like when people just credit like one reason, you know, there's, it's not one reason. Like there's so many things that we're building up to that point. It was the perfect storm. I mean, I've had a project that will be in my spotlight called Shimmel. was on the front page of HN and it was like equal to 100 stars because it was written in Bash. Since yours was written in JavaScript and you had an influencer. And also, I think what you didn't mention is your amazing marketing abilities. When when you go now and then even four years ago, when you went to Clipboard.js, it was like, oh, a company must be behind this because it looks really, really good. You know, like that's just what you do. So I think that's a lot of, and one of the topics that Richard and I were in in Sustain Summit is the marketing aspect and how mm-hmm. important it is to not only gain traction for your project, but for funding and all that other stuff. So I'm so glad that we're bringing this up because the marketing aspect, very important. Now, when you go for that, like your design capabilities, like is that just like natural or do you really, really spend time on like thinking this out? Like, oh, this color scheme is going to work great. And I think this will be a great segue into Dracula. I'm definitely not a designer. I'm definitely not a marketeer, but I know that these skills are important. You know, I think that we all have our strengths and know we do best, but we need to keep an eye on other things, right? If we are recording a podcast, we have to know that, okay, if I'm listening to other podcasts, like I want to know what are their equipment, how they record, what are their checklists? So how do they do all that and how they have that such quality? That's how I approach when I'm navigating for the web, you know, when we close this call and we go for our days, like we're going to access so many different websites and just keeping an eye on like, what is the trend? Like, what is the messaging that they are leading with in terms of design? Like Clipboard.js, this was a very good question because I remember clearly when I, I did the header, which is the only thing that is designed in the site. I use like a gradient with like green and blue colors. And that was because I remember everybody was, was doing gradients. So that was the, what is, was considered modern at that time. So 
identifying that, like having an eye for that, always keeping watching, like always watching for this, for this cues is important because when it comes the time to now actually do your work, maybe you're going to have a, a new project idea tomorrow, you know? Now, like you have to absorb all those concepts and try to put something together. So I think always keeping an eye on, on, on that is important. One more thing. Inf- you brought up influencer. That is definitely one of the most important. I, I founded a project called Bootstrap CDN. And when it launched, it was pretty good. Like people were talking about it. But once Jacob Thornton at Fat on Twitter mm-hmm. and GitHub, 10,000 uniques to the site in one night. One mm-hmm. night. And then usage just shot up. So I think that's another thing that is within that perfect storm is the influencer endorsing it for the most part. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah. And you're not going to get that if you don't do a good job even to communicate to that influencer, right? Or if you don't join the conversation. I feel like people, they just like, okay, I created something. Now I have to share. And then they talk to everybody and they spam everybody. Like, I'm not going to share this thing that you were just like sending me the link because like, yeah, maybe I don't care about it. Or maybe you're not approaching me the best way possible. You never talked to me in five years and now you want me to share this. Like, come on, you know? So they're like basic uh, human being behaviors that you need to uh, comprehend and you can't expect to have like a, a great outcome if you don't participate in the community. I think being inside the community, actually caring, actually participating, this is so much important. Yeah. So, so crucial. I think that ties back to what we were saying earlier about Hacker News. I've, I've had a couple of things go to the top of Hacker News and it's been great and it's been because of my community. And I've had a lot of things I don't talk about that didn't make it to the top of Hacker News mm-hmm. that were just dropped there one day. Oh, great. This will go viral. No, it didn't. Oh, okay. Now what? I guess I'll abandon that project or maybe I'll have to rethink how it works. I really agree with your comments, and we'll put it in the show notes, everyone, about why it wasn't just Hacker News, how there's a lot of legwork involved with putting projects out there. I also think this is incredibly important for sustaining open source, largely because a lot of people think that open source is just a matter of licensing and just putting it out there and just, you know, it's great. If it has a license and it's on GitHub, it's open. When in reality, it depends upon the network. It depends upon the community. It doesn't exist. I mean, if a coder codes an array in the forest and no one's around to see it. Did he ever really do it? You know, like who knows? Who knows? So I really love your approach of teach first, be welcoming first, communicate 10 times more than you code. Communicating is, you know, you said you took two weeks already to make that website, but one day to make the code, that's 10x. So 10x on communication, 1x on the code itself. That's a really interesting um, way of doing things. My question for that, like a follow-up, is not just how do you choose projects, but how do you plan to have projects live beyond you? Because you obviously can't just do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I can't do that for every project I have. I would be you know, 200 years old by the time I finished them all, and it just wouldn't mm-hmm. work. So in particular, I'm, I'm also curious about how you would answer this in terms of Dracula, which I believe is a, is a theming project that has grown beyond you. Can you say a bit more about that? Yes, totally. It, that's totally the case. So I think it was in 2013, I was in Germany to give a talk. And I remember just like eating lots of bad things. You know, at that time, like, man, I was uh, drinking Red Bull for breakfast. I was eating sausages all the time. Like I was not in a healthy mood. So 
I took a, a plane to Spain where I was going to give another talk. I'd never been to Spain in my life, first time. And during the flight, I was like feeling so bad. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I'm feeling so sick. And I just like <laughs> called the, the, the flight attendant and said, hey, I'm feeling very sick. I, I need some help. So the plane landed and I went straight to the ambulance, straight to the, to the hospital. I spent there like maybe, I don't know, like five hours trying to recover. And I was feeling better. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm better now. And I was walking with the nurse and I remember the nurse like talking to me in Spanish. Like I couldn't comprehend. I was like, okay, trying to understand something. And then I was like, okay, I can go now, right? I can leave. And she was like, no, 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 no. You're, you're staying. I was like, what? I'm not staying here. Like I need, I have a conference to, I need to give a talk tomorrow. And she's like, no, no, you're staying. You can't leave the hospital. I was like, what? So they took me to the emergency room. Turns out I was like, my blood test, everything was like crazy. And yeah, it was like crazy story. I was like completely from nowhere. And I was like, okay, that's it, right? So I spent the first day there on the hospital and I spent the second day, I spent the third day. I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to leave this place. I didn't even tell my family that I was at the hospital because I thought it was like a like five hour thing and then I would leave. So I called my coworkers and I said, hey, can you bring my laptop? Like I'm, I spent my whole day here like watching Spanish TV shows. Like, can I just like do something while I'm here? And they bring my laptop and I'm like, okay, now I'm distracting myself a little bit. I told my family and the days kept passing and I couldn't leave the hospital. My, all my numbers were, were terrible. So one day I left my room real quick. I was like, okay, let me just grab some water. And then when I went back, my computer was not there anymore. I was like, what? And then I, I was searching like, okay, maybe someone took it, put it in another place. And where's my computer? So someone stole my computer oh, in man. the hospital. Oh. Like, oh my gosh. So I was like, what's going on? How dark is this? Someone stealing in a hospital. Like, but I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, oh, so sad. I'm like, okay, this is the only way I can talk to my family back in Brazil. I'm like, oh my gosh. So was it a vampire? Well, is that what you call <laughs> Dracula? No, no. <laughs> But then, but then I called my coworkers. They brought a new uh, MacBook, and then I was like, "Okay, now I have a my computer a computer back again." So I had to reconfigure everything, and just like everything I do, I I start to document, I start to share. So I created a gist of all my the instructions that I I did to set up a new computer, and I remember like, okay, now I'm installing a terminal app like iTerm. I'm installing my code editor, I'm installing like all the apps that I, I'm installing. And I remember like having to configure a different theme for every each and single one of them. And I wanted a consistent experience throughout my applications. And there were very little things, themes, if it was any at that time, I don't remember. Actually, there was like uh, Solarized is one of them where they tried to just have the same experience across all the applications. And I think this is crucial. You know, as developers, we have to keep on the same context. And whenever we switch context, we lose focus. We, we leave that zone that we need to be productive. So I just created this, this color scheme. Really, it's a color scheme. 
just like I picked randomly some colors that I liked. I was like, okay, this looks good. That's nice. Okay, this I'm staying with that. Okay, this looks good. Uh, I know it needs to be dark because I love dark colors. I never use light things. And then I, I put it out there. Tweet it. Okay, there's like maybe 20 likes. Some people liked, some others didn't. No, no big deal at all. I never really had an idea of monetizing that. I was not thinking about monetization at all. I was just thinking about doing something that I liked. And if others could expand on that, great. And that's what happened. I, I used one code editor, like Sublime Text. But then there were people using Vim. So then they created a variation of Dracula for Vim. Then other people created variations for Atom, for Visual Studio Code, for Windows Terminals, for Notepad++. And it just started to grow. And I was not really watching the project as much. Like my year was not, like every year, maybe I would spend 20 hours looking at that project, maintaining that project. I was just facilitating other people creating themes and uh, publishing to the site. So it was really hands-off. And I think nowadays there's like 96 different applications that support Dracula. And for me, that's just mind-blowing. I would never have the energy to do that. First, because I don't use Windows, I don't use Linux, and I don't use all these other apps that even if I use that operating system, I, I don't use them. It just grew beyond me uh, so much. So I remember the first time I was introduced to Dracula actually was, I think, four or five years, maybe even longer than that, probably eight years ago, probably, when I started using a tool called RubyMine by JetBrains. And I remember it was so impactful because, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the same Dracula, right? Yes, it okay. is. So it's actually a little bit confusing for JetBrains because they have one called Darkula. Mm -hmm. And it was created almost at the same time. And then there's Dracula. So Darkula is the one that comes by default on Jet, uh, JetBrains. Uh, oh, okay. But, and okay. then there's Dracula. That's crazy. <laughs> That's insane. Okay. Yeah, so I must be confused, but I but that was like the beginning of the dark mode for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was always like white background. Everything was work, you know, works well like that. And and Darkula, I guess, was my first experience. But it's really interesting that you brought that in. In fact, during this conversation, I realized not only are you integrated with all these different IDEs and editors, you're also integrated with browsers. So as we were talking, I changed my Firefox to, to <laughs> Dracula and it looks really, really good. That's awesome. <laughs> so one of the things I'm curious about is I know this is Dracula Pro and that it's monetized. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Yeah, once again, you know, it's about like reading what is the, the current state of the world, you know? There were many cues for me that it was a good time to monetize this project. Typically, I'm a person that I never monetize my work. And it's something that I regret in a way because I feel like I've always seen marketing and sales as a bad thing. You know, oh, these are like uh, cursed words. Like you should never touch those things. Like, oh my gosh. And so in a way, I regret about this. But with Dracula, last year, I remember seeing how the iPhone Pro came in. And I was seeing this trend of like, pro type of offers. And at the same time, dark mode came to iOS. And then everybody was crazy about dark mode on iOS. And then there was a huge discussion. Now it was not only about 
developers anymore. Dark mode was way beyond developers. It reached the mass public. Also, last year, there was a person that uh, reached out to me to create a keyboard for Dracula. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, what a great idea. I, I'm sure people will love this. So he created a whole 3D model for the, the keyboard. He talked to many different companies. And it was a mechanical keyboard that you needed a, a group buy. And there were different sites for different regions. And they launched this. And I think one of the companies uh, here in the U.S., it was the, the record in sales for that keyboard. And I didn't make any money out of that. So that was another cue. I'm like, okay, there are people making money out of this thing that I created. And I'm just sitting here, you know, like doing all this work for free. And I remember also another app called Bear, which is a note-taking app. It looks amazing. And they have one of their pro things, which is Dracula. So I'm like, once again, like there's people making money with this and it's totally fine. I created MIT license. That's it. You know, you can do that. That's completely fine. But I reached a point where I was like, okay, let me learn about sales. <laughs> so I bought two books. I read one. The other one, I, I didn't even touch it. But I was like, okay, let me learn about it. And the best way to learn it, let, let me do something about this. So I was like, I'm going to create a Dracula Pro. But here's the thing. How I'm going to sell a color scheme. Like people are not going to buy a color scheme. That's just reality. If I sell a color scheme, like this is not going to bring any money. Like maybe like five super fans will buy it, but it's not going to grow beyond that. So I had to really think about it, how I'm going to transform this into something that people will actually care. So this was a very tricky process, I would say. What were your takeaways from that book? I'm, I'm fascinated by this topic and I often... To give you a little background and also to the listeners, Justin and I work with a company called CodeFund. Our mm-hmm. whole purpose is to drive funding to open source developers. And we often see the story of what you're saying where developers will create something, it gains traction. All of a sudden, they've built something that people are now reselling and they don't have any means of revenue generation. So the idea of creating that that stream of revenue for your open source to me really makes it so that there's longevity and sustainability in that project, which is why we're all here. But what were the takeaways from the book that you read on like, and what can you share with developers who might have something that they're starting to see is being used, but they don't know how to monetize themselves? So this book is actually, it's called Lounge. I can share the link uh, here with you. And it basically, it tries to create a formula about launching a digital product. That's what they, they promise. It's hard for developers to read it because it's very marketing oriented. Like those terms that when you hear, you're like, oh my gosh, you know? But there are some really interesting lessons from there. One lesson was about creating your own mailing list, which is something that I, I never paid attention to this at all. You know, I don't want to create another, oh, join my newsletter kind of thing. But if you want to sell products, yes, you need that. It really helps. People really read emails and people really, that's the way you control your audience. If you think like you have a massive following on Twitter, a massive following on Instagram, on whatever channel it is, and you think you own that audience, I'm sorry to say, but you don't. And they're not going to distribute the content to that entire audience. So I read that book. This was one of the, the key takeaways. And then also planning a sequence 
of messages and also a sequence of content. That was another important piece for me. So all I did, my first step, like I knew I wanted to monetize in December. Like I knew that. So I was like, okay, my first action is going to be a join my newsletter. I'm going to put it out there. Maybe people will click it. Maybe they won't. Whatever. Let's let's try it out. So I, I put it that and there were like maybe 100 signups in two weeks. I guess by the end of December, there were like 100. So I was like, okay, that's 100. That's already a lot of people. I can already start to communicate things to them. And I knew I wanted to do something that was paid. And there are many different directions you can take with this, right? You can take one direction, which is ads, which works pretty well, but you need a very big traffic. So I think this is, if you have a website that has a lot of traffic, that's good. You can do that model. You don't have to change anything about your project, just put ads and you can make some money. But I knew that I wanted something like a different approach and I wanted something that would transform people. That, that was also another takeaway of that book. Like if you just sell something that doesn't make any kind of transformation in someone's life, like they're not going to be curious or interested on that thing. So for me, I had to really search deep, like, okay, why people even change color schemes in the first place? Why, why don't you like the light color scheme? Why did you change to dark? Why within the dark ones, people change and they like they have one for their, their terminal, another for their Visual Studio Code. Like why people do that? So I started to like ask these different whys until for me, at least the, the answer that I have now is just because they want to be more productive. As developers, we're trying to find like those little things, those little advantages that are going to make you more productive. People... Not like nowadays, people are crazy about mechanical keyboards. It's like a huge thing now. And it's a trend that like, okay, it started like back in the day. Now it came back. And it's just like, they want that little advantage. If they can type faster, like on a better keyboard, okay, that's more productivity for them. And that's what I, I came to the realization. Like, okay, that, that's what people want. They want to be more productive. That's what developers want. So I have to offer something that makes them more productive. So I had to really search for that answer and thinking about, okay, what I want to do, like what is the pricing strategy? Do do I want to charge something that is really low and now I have to like sell a lot to have a nice income or do I make it expensive and then I will have less support work to do, but in a higher quality. So there are all these decisions that you have to make And it's really difficult. Do you want to sell a subscription with your software or do you want to sell this one-time payment that you you click once and that's it? So it's really hard. There's so many questions that you have to figure it out. And we are not experts on this. Most of us, we know how to create the software, but we don't know how to sell it. And it takes time. But if you look at different inspirations, it's also not rocket science. I truly believe that the skills that takes to become a programmer, they prepare you for life. You know, like when you're debugging something for hours and then you realize it was just a comma that you missed. Oh man, that's so hard. But it teaches you resilience. Now you know how to keep pounding and whenever you have problems, you're going to keep trying and then eventually it's going to work. So like 
we went through so many different things as programmers. And I think that selling and marketing, all these is that blah, blah, blah. We can do it. We can learn it. It's not rocket science. Let me just quickly add, email is not dead. Whoever says that has never <laughs> sent a newsletter. It works so well. Eric, you could attest to that. And yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because many people that I've talked to in the past are like, oh yeah, email's dead. Newsletters are stupid. And it's just like, okay. Yeah, totally. There are businesses that are running just on newsletters, like so many of them. There's like, they're dedicated newsletters that they send weekly emails. They have hundreds of thousands of subscribers and that, that's their business. So Cooper Press. Yeah, yeah Cooper that's Press. true. Cooper Press, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of launching and emails, it's about time to wrap up. Unfortunately, this has been super fascinating. Uh, where can people find your newsletter? Where can they find you online? Do you have a website? Yes. So they can reach me out at zenorocha.com. And the website for Dracula is draculatheme.com. So yeah, they can find more. And I'm also on Twitter, GitHub, all that cool stuff with the same name, Zenorocha. That's Z-E-N-O-R-O-C-H-A for those of you listening. That's awesome. So now it's time for Spotlight, which is the part where we talk about cool projects that we have. Justin, I saw you were the first one to fill it out. So you get to go first. What is your Spotlight? Well, actually, Zeno was the first to fill it out, but I'll go. Shimmel.xyz, S-H-M-L. I brought it up earlier. It's the shell markup language, and it really needs a new home, someone who is going to move it into the future. It was one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on, but I don't use Bash. I barely use a terminal that much anymore, so it just has to be passed on to the, to the next person. So if that is the case, please open up a pull request or email me, justin at codefund.io. And yeah. Eric. Yeah. So the story that you shared regarding your laptop, it reminded me of this company, ThoughtBot. Now, ThoughtBot is a fantastic contributor back to the open source community, especially in regards to the Ruby world, which is where I kind of live. And so... They have this script that you can find on github.com slash thoughtbot slash laptop. And in here, they have a single script that you can run to essentially set up a full developer machine. What I really like about this is not that you can set up a full developer machine using their specs, but you can clone or fork their project and create your own custom version of a complete Mac setup, which is, in my view, it's fantastic. You're always going to get the same thing. Uh, and the second thing I'm going to say is like, so Zeno, I'm your most recent purchaser of the pro subscription. So take, take my money, please. <laughs> I'm excited. I downloaded it and I noticed in there also, there's some tutorials on Alfred on how to get that set up. Really cool fonts that's included. You got a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Productive Developers, which is going to be coming out very, very soon. Yeah. And you got like uh, Figma and Sketch templates in here, which is amazing. So. For those listening that are developers that have some extra money and would like to support an amazing project, and at the end of it all, like get a really, really well-honed product out of this, I recommend going and purchasing it at DraculaTheme.com. DraculaTheme.com. Everybody go. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of Alfred, Zeno has a really great repository of all these really cool Alfred workflows. I just had to throw that in. 
I'm going to that as soon as this podcast is ending. This is probably the most actionable podcast we've had, where it's like, <laughs> oh, I should do that too. Great. Thank you. My my spotlight, which I can't say without in my head without thinking of Boston accents, is going to be craigmode.com. That's craigmod.com. Craig Mod is a really awesome writer, uh, philosopher, and walker who lives in Japan. He's the only newsletter I pay for. I pay like $3 a month. I absolutely love it. Every time I get in my inbox, I read it. It's about him walking around Japan and thoughts on walking and thoughts on talking. It makes me feel like I'm out there too, even when I'm at my computer, which is not somewhere I always want to be. And so I really love this newsletter and I highly suggest it. Email is not dead. If I only read like one email a week and it's that one, it's been a good week for me. Definitely suggest it to those of you who haven't heard of him before. Amen. All right. Zeno, what is your spotlight? Okay, my spotlight is HTML5 boilerplate. And that's because it was the inspiration for me to create my first uh, open source project, which was jQuery boilerplate. And it's just like, uh, it's still, even today, it's a good kickoff for your project. It has the, the things that you need to, to start it. And yeah, it was a project that helped many people and I still help others today. So that's my spotlight. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on here. Everyone who is listening, there will be links in the show notes. There are also our show notes. Check it out. Follow Zeno around on interwebs of glory and see you all next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, with enterprise-grade hardware, SG-compatible storage options, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash sustain.